That's an incredibly embarrassing moment for any professional athlete, so when we come back, we're going to show it to you a couple of more times, if only so that I can keep saying, Virgin Snow. Good evening, everybody from New York City. I'm Dan Rydell, alongside Casey McCall. Those stories plus. Hi, I'm Adam Amin. I'm Steve Samino. And welcome to Those Stories Plus, where we discuss episodes of Sports Night and the topics surrounding it. We're uh, moving on to episode four, Intellectual Property. One of the the highlights of season one, I think, it's one that kind of I forgot about until rewatching how good it was. It's very, very funny. It's very, very Sorkin. It's extremely quick, this one. There's yes. a ton of scene changes, a ton of back and forth. It's, it's very, very Sorkin. It originally aired on October 13th, 1998. Again, written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by Tommy Shlami. Our synopsis, Casey is jealous of Dana's relationship with Gordon. Dan is reprimanded for singing Happy Birthday to Casey on the air because the network was forced to pay royalties to the song's copyright holder and wants everybody on the team to choose a public domain song for him to sing on their birthdays. It is, as you said, very fast-paced, very much the rapid fire uh, that you get to experience from Aaron Sorkin. Now, it's, it's in its raw stages, but the rapid fire is very much there. Absolutely. Um, this one starts off with the broadcast. We've got the guys at the desk... And we have Casey discussing a premature touchdown celebration in the virgin snow. And I have a note here that Casey is very dry and centurion. He's almost officious in his delivery. Yes. And I really noticed it this time more than anything else we've seen so far. Where he's, and he gets a geography lesson. He's very... That's he enunciates yeah. and he's very... Stentorian is, is a very kind of staccato <laughs> yes. uh, type of cadence. And there are a lot of broadcasters out there. One of my favorite play-by-play announcers who uh, is a colleague of mine at ESPN, Joe Tessitore. Had, a, had an article written about him a couple years ago, and he was described as stentorian. And that was the first time I'd ever heard anybody described as that. So it was cool. I'm, I'm happy that you used that word to describe Casey, because that's, that's what it is. It's staccato. It's hitting stuff hard. Yeah. And it is... I love the dryness. I love where he just goes, we're going to show that over and over again. It's very embarrassing. If, if for no other reason, so I can say... Virgin Snow. Yeah, and like, way, I, it's, it's really, the voice, I yeah. love the cadence of that. And Virgin <laughs> Snow is something I hope to use as often as humanly possible <laughs> as the season goes on. We get a little bit of kind of behind the scenes as things are going on. There's the uh, little extra going on with the Bucks game. So they got to stretch it for 15 seconds. And it's just cool to see things, you know, things going as they are. It's a smooth rolling machine, even though it's not as smooth as it could be necessarily. I did, I, just real quick, I did want to go back on, on what you just mentioned about yeah. the behind the scenes stuff. Accurate. Again, the accuracy is there. And I know there have been disputing reports about how accurate this really is, you know, whether it's Dan Patrick saying it wasn't exactly like how, you know, we would do it. I, I did want to say that stuff like that, the little nuanced stuff, hey, we're 15 seconds short, you need to fill, or you need stuff, or talk slower because we need to fill this time. All of that stuff, very accurate. And then we get to the tick and or flinch. <laughs> Casey says there's a fly in the studio the size of a bald eagle, but no one seems to be able to see it. He just keeps darting his eyes around and ducking, uh, which is going to be a thread throughout this episode that is exquisite, I think. Um, and Isaac Waltz is in and gives us a little, a little foundation about the show itself. We are firmly in third place, but they've gained a little bit in some certain important demographics. They've taken away from both uh, their competitors. They've taken an audience from Fox and from Bristol, uh, which is ESPN. So they're 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 charging. They're they're trying to stay afloat. And you you know we've already discussed that 
the show could be in trouble in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Good to see that they're still solidly in third place. They're hanging out in third place. We get the funny bit where they need some kind of information about the attendance of the, the Milwaukee game, and Jeremy gives them that it's, it's the exact population of Hoisington, Kansas, which is random which i suppose is, which is apparently not true no i i, I just happened to look in the uh, the trivia or maybe it was the goofs uh, on imdb of this episode apparently the 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 population of hoisington is like 2300 and i think that i think this was strictly, i'm looking right now it is oh, it's I, th- I think this was strictly an excuse to say hoisington kansas it is a it is a solid sounding word it is currently as of the 2010 census only 2706 so it is not nearly i mean <laughs> The Bucks aren't, as far as I, I don't know, follow the NBA too much, but they're, they're not drawing. They're not drawing, drawing more than four thousand. Yeah, yeah they're, they're. I mean, they're drawing somewhere between three thousand and eleven thousand. <laughs> uh, I think you could say somewhat safely. Uh, the, the, this is a lot of rapid fire, though. Again, we we see it from the guys in. It's a tick or a flinch. You know, is there a fly in the studio? There ain't no fly. <laughs> uh, the Casey situation. You know, as we go a little bit further, you know, between Natalie and Dana, you're you're you're. There's a ton of that rapid fire, which helps move this episode along quickly i i we were talking about this before when you get to the west wing there are a lot of long exposition periods with two people so the walk and talk was a great way to make it feel like something was happening when there's really not anything happening you have to focus on the writing and the the exposition and the narrative this helps move things along when you're kind of stuck in a stationary spot this at least keeps you Engaged, so the rapid fire is definitely making an impact these last couple of episodes. Definitely. Has anybody else noticed that Casey's been flinching a lot tonight? He's been doing it for a couple of nights. Flinching? It's like a tick. It's a flinch. Casey, why are you flinching? I'm not flinching. Not now, but before. More like a tick. It's a flinch. A uh, flinch or a tick? What's going on? There's a fly in the studio. A fly? Yeah, it's a big one. He's been in here about three days now. Dave, there's a fly in the studio. I'm not seeing it. Casey says there's a fly. Is there a fly in our studio? I'm not hearing anything. There ain't no fly. Casey, there's no fly. Dana, there is a fly in the studio the size of a bald eagle. And every time he buzzes my head in a flyby, it's like a sound check at a Black Sabbath concert. You're not picking this up? Dan, is there a fly in the studio? Let him work through it. So it's a quick cold open. We get the, the fly. We get the, we're in third place. We get a commercial. Virgin Snow, we're all good. We, we, we come back from commercial in the newsroom with Casey limping through, going, pain, pain, broken ankle. <laughs> broken ankle. Where does it hurt? Another good kind of Sorkin style. Where does it hurt? It hurts my ankle, Danny. We get that back and forth. So that's pretty entertaining. Um, and we find out now that Casey has been acting awkward around Dana. As we found out at the end of last episode, he's kind of into her now, just maybe because he's a bit jealous. Uh, he seems to be trying to avoid her. She calls. Dan's kind of like, oh no, he was, uh, he just kind of throws him under the bus. He throw him, completely threw him under the bus. Tell her, tell her I'm not here. Yeah, he's right here. Tell, tell her I have a broken ankle. Like, this is, this yeah. is stuff you do. This is reminding me of Adam Sandler in, uh, in Billy Madison. Where, he, where he's like, ask, ask her if she's got a boyfriend. <laughs> you blew it! You blew it! Yes. Yeah, that was exactly what I was thinking of. So it's, we get, uh little explanation of why he is limping even though he seems to be phoning it in now he's not really hurt but dan was apparently in the know about gordon didn't mention it to casey didn't think he needed to mention it to casey and casey tried to kick him and kicked a fire hydrant instead so that's a little bit silly a little funny there as well and we find out that dana's going to vermont with gordon right so ooh, moving pretty fast we're going for a little ski trip although we'll find out that it's not really about the skiing later on 
And we get a little more. more it sounds like it's more about lingerie than yes, anything else. Natalie 100%. is really, really pounding the lingerie when you get into the, uh, into the edit room and just the two of them talking about it. This I, I'm looking at my notes and it says scene, scene, commercial break, scene. There's so many. And it's it's like, a lot of quick change. This is excellent. And this one ends with, again, a little more important stuff. Things keep moving, which is really impressive for as quick as things are going. Casey and Dana, we find out, have known each other for 15 years. Long We're time. friends. You know, I'm not jealous. It's been a long time. And we get Dan getting a call from Mallory Moss in Business Affairs. A very Sorkin name, that kind of alliteration. Also a very Adam Sandler name with that alliteration first (laughs) and second. First and last name. Veronica Vaughn, Mallory Moss, of course. So we get a new scene where we are in the editing room, which you were just getting to right there. Very funny uh, conversation about good ideas. You know something? I can't think of the last time I had a good idea. The segment's a good idea. It's not a really good idea. It's a fine idea. It's a regular idea. You have good ideas a lot. I find myself saying, Natalie's got a good idea. But you also find yourself saying, Natalie, if you screw that up again, I'll set you on fire. That's true, too, and yet it's the good idea thing I'm focusing on right now. What was the last good idea you had? When I got up this morning, I decided not to stick my hand in the blender. That's what I mean. We've got Natalie talking about the Casey situation. I've already named it. It's a situation. It's a situation. It's, a it, it, it's given, a, it's given a, a title now at this point. So it's a very real, very real thing that we're going to go through. This is a setup for what I feel like is going to happen, not only in this episode, but for several episodes going forward. This is clearly going to be a device that carries us for 10, 15 episodes. Definitely. We've got Natalie with the notion that Dana has a plan to make, or a strategy to make Casey fall in love with her. But she says, well, everyone knows you don't have a strategy. That's why we like it. It seems like everyone is kind of on this train of, A. Everyone, everyone's kind of smelling what, what could potentially happen between these two. It is so awkward because, I mean, it doesn't feel like either, either one of these people, as self-assured as they are, I mean, d- d- both Dana and Casey are very confident, self-assured professionals, and yet personally they are train wrecks, which I absolutely love. I, I love shows, and I think Aaron Sorkin is very good at this, getting people in their comfort zone professionally and totally uncomfortable as as it comes to their personal lives. Definitely. They are extre- between 11 and midnight, locked in. Locked in. Very Anything much else, so. it's like, oh, what, who? Does she like me? Does she not? Do you like, like, <laughs> this is this is very high school. This is very, people, you know what? I wonder if this, this kind of relates, and, I, and I'd be curious about this with you too. Our, our high school selves, and again, you and I have, for those who, who haven't joined us before, you and I have known each other for a decade and a half. We went to junior high and high school together. I think we regress a little bit with certain people uh, to our high school selves. And when we see what that looks like now, you know, I'm, we're, what, 12 years removed, 11 years removed from high school at this mm-hmm. point. When, when I see that sometimes, I, I am petrified of what <laughs> I was like as a 16, 17, 18-year-old. And the reason I'm so happy that we stayed friends is because we've grown into adults. Yes. And I don't regress with you like I do with some other people, which I have no problem with. (laughs) But the the fear of high school, what you were like in high school, is kind of like what we're seeing manifested, you know, manifested these two people when it comes to their relationship. I think that's what makes it so charming. Yes. I, I 100% agree with, with you about both the regression and the charmingness, <laughs> where it's there are groups of people, when you're with them, you're just like, oh, we are now 17 again, and we're animals, and you're goofy, and you're silly, and these two who have known each other 15 years fall into that, it seems like, from time to time. I fall into that all the time with, the, <laughs> with certain people that I'm always yeah. hanging around with. Um, so it's, it's very realistic, it's very much what is what happens with people when they're together for a long time, or when they know each other for a long time. 
that scene comes to a close with another solid Natalie little one-liner. You've got Casey right where you want yeah, him, yeah, which is right where you which want. is great because apparently Dana doesn't want him anywhere. We have another new scene and a very funny one where Dan goes up to see Mallory Moss, who just started this week. The office is a mess. Look, I don't have a whole lot of time, Listen, so... I think it's sweet that you and your partner sing to each other on television. Others may think it's vaguely gay, but I disagree. I'm so pumped. You're Lee Smith, <laughs> a great character actor on screen, but best known as the voice of Lisa Simpson, among many other people in the Simpsons universe. Oh, no, it's a package from Ralph. Oh, a Malibu Stacy convertible. Look in the trunk. He must mean trunk. And if you didn't know that that was Lisa Simpson talking, you might not think about it. But as soon as you say, that's Lisa Simpson, close your eyes. Josh <laughs> Charles is talking to Lisa Simpson now. <laughs> it is so funny to see her because her natural voice seems to be Lisa Simpson's Lisa voice, Simpson, yeah. which is just so, it's so bizarre that this woman walks around sounding like Lisa Simpson all the time. And from everything I've seen of her, she seems to be very friendly, very nice. I actually caught her confession on TMZ. Oh, Not too long ago, <laughs> someone was talking to her. Not that I watch it frequently, but it's Yeah, I'm happy to flip it on, sure. So I, it was just, she seemed very friendly, and I think she appreciated being recognized. But yeah. someone was probably like... Lisa Simpson? What's going on? Like, who? What I was hear the, a voice. What, what were they doing to her on TMZ? Were they asking her to do... Did they relate it by saying it's Lisa Simpson? A lot of it, yes. And a lot of it just boiled down to whether or not her name was pronounced Yardley or, or Yardley. Is it... Well, am I getting it wrong? I think it's Yardley. Okay, okay. Yes. It might be Yardley. Now I feel bad. I think... I, I think... Now, her full name is like Martha Maria Yardley Smith. That's... And she... Well, she went with the, the she showbiz went, she name. Went, she it went sticks. the very showbiz name. You're it not going to forget that. I don't know. I know she has acted in other movies. The only one I can think of is the movie about the machines that go crazy that Stephen King directed when he was on a whole bunch of cocaine called Maximum Overdrive. Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> and she goes nuts in there. I would actually like us to play a quick clip of her screaming in that. <laughs> Yeah, Stephen King wrote and directed Maximum Overdrive. It's ridiculous. And he claims, or, or the, the infamous story, though, is that he was on a lot of drugs while this was being made. And as we, I mean, it's known, it's knowledgeable. It's a known fact yeah. that Stephen King had a pretty, pretty severe substance problem for a while. But she is just over the top, and I love it. This is a really nice uh, B plot. I just, I, I think it's a really nice B story to, to tag this episode, you it's, know? It's funny, it plays throughout, and it's just, yeah, it's something that is a, is a problem that you would never think of. Like, oh yeah, you, for a long time you weren't allowed to sing no, Happy Birthday. That was an educational moment. I didn't know that necessarily. I didn't know that you couldn't sing uh, Happy Birthday in the public domain on TV. It's, it's just another quick, funny scene. It serves a purpose because it's going to be a thread going through, and it, it really gives us a good, a good look at Dan kind of trying to stand up to the man, even though it's the silliest, weirdest... Yeah oddest thing to have to stand up for. It's against the law to sing happy birthday on television. That doesn't sound quite right to me. It is. You went to law school and everything, right? Yeah. You took the bar? Three times. It's against the law to sing happy birthday on television. Federal copyright law. Happy birthday is protected material. Yes. Who holds the copyright to happy birthday? The representatives of Mildred and Patty Hill. Mildred and Patty Hill. The authors. The authors. They wrote it. They wrote the song. Did you think that song just happened? Well, yeah. <laughs> it didn't. 
we get another scene change here where we've got Casey and Jeremy having a conversation. Casey is trying desperately to convince Jeremy that there is a fly and he's really intimidating slash probably creeping out Jeremy to the point where he says, you're making me believe it's there. It's there. Okay. Maybe he only makes itself visible to you like the <laughs> rabbit in Harvey, which was going to come back. To, it's just a silly quick scene where we get more of, of, of Casey kind of wigging out about this whole Dana Gordon situation. Jeremy says, oh, as far as I understand, this weekend's almost entirely about sex, which freaks Casey out even more. It's just a, a, another quick one that is very purposeful for the plot. Very funny. That's, I'm glad you used that word, purposeful, because you're one, you're, some people are, might be watching this and just thinking, why are they pounding this fly so much? Like, why is the fly, uh, this fly, the main like plot point right now? And it will play a major, major, major role when, once we get to the end of the episode, which I, again, I, I wasn't expecting, you know, the first time I remember watching this and obviously rewatching it again, I, I, w- I was really impressed. Like, these are little devices that I'm becoming a very big fan yes. of in this writing. Last episode, we referred to it as, as Chekhov's Twinkie. This could almost be a Chekhov's fly, yeah. where it gets mentioned very early on, and it definitely pays off before... You don't, you don't you know exactly down. why it's being mentioned so much, or why it's even out there, but all of a sudden, when you get... when you know, Obviously, we'll discuss when we get to the end, uh, why it's such a big plot point. We come back to a rundown meeting in the conference center. They're tossing a baseball around, very sportsy. Something about the baseball, and just more so in Dan and Casey's office. In that one back corner, there's just a smorgasbord of sporting equipment for seemingly for no, no reason. For, 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 what, how much, how much like batting practice are you taking to the office oh, just out of curiosity? There's like 32 hockey sticks, <laughs> a half a dozen baseball bats. There's all sorts of weird miscellaneous. I, I, w- I, would, I would think that a lot of that might be just like autographed paraphernalia or something yeah. like that or, or, or whatever. But I mean, yeah, you're, you're looking at a significant amount of stuff that you have no use. I'm sure there's a youth hockey team out there right. that could use, use. Give a donation, guys. Hit the goodwill and, and make, a, make a youngster very happy. But they're tossing the baseball around, having a meeting. Dana brings up the phantom fly, and here's another great line from Casey. So the phantom fly, it's a real fly. We believe you. I'm like, Tippy Hedren in there. <laughs> Nonetheless, the flinching... Like a tick. It's a flinch. Listen to me. There's a fly in the studio, and this is not a normal-sized fly. It's a jumbo fly. It has made a habit now of flying into my monitors at a great velocity. You would think that at this velocity it would blow apart on impact, but apparently this fly has some sort of protective coating that allows it to come right back at me. Protective coating? Yes. Does the fly have any other special powers? No. Well, Jeremy thinks it might have some sort of stealth capability. And you had mentioned early on that yep. this was your, your eye-opening experience about Tippy Hedren. It's like, I was like, who's Tippy Hedren? And then, and then I realized why... It was such a funny reference because, again, as I know we mentioned in episode one, uh, it's just a reference to the Birds, Alfred Hitchcock movie, and I was just really, uh, I was really taken aback by a reference like that. That's one of the several references that pop up in an episode like this where you just go, huh. And and I love what you said in episode one, too. Everybody just kind of goes along with it. I may not know exactly who Tippi Hedren is, but everybody else is going along with it, and you know that these are, you know somewhat intelligent people who yes. have a wide pop culture range. On the subject of Tippi Hedren, if you've never seen, um, it's called The Girl. It was in like an HBO production about the making of the birds. Hitchcock tormented her with that movie and yeah. like freaked her out. And he, he was notorious for doing this with a lot of his, his leading ladies, but it's it just shows how kind of psychologically damaged she was because of these because birds. Because of this, this movie, yeah. So if you took uh, The Fly and made Casey as, as damaged, imagine the pain that he's going through on the inside sure. because of this fly. It's a nice, it's a, it's a nice parallel right there. Yes, sure, sure. 
Um, so the meeting ends, and we've got Dan focusing on on the happy birthday songs. He goes up to Isaac and asks him, what would you like him to sing for his birthday? And notice you got a birthday coming up. For you, I've brought it down to two choices. Libiamo, Libiamo by Giuseppe Verdi, or Yo-Ho-Ho and a bottle of rum. Are you on any medication right now? I'm going to go with the Verdi. Just another silly one. Funny, that thread's going to play its way through. We have a scene change, and we are back to good ideas. So good ideas on the grand scale of human experience. It keeps it going, and uh, we have a scene change. That's really all it it's is. A, like, you, like you said, this is such a quick-moving episode, and I think it really feels like Aaron Sorkin wants to get us to the, the eventual climax of this episode. Because yes. it's a long scene at the end. Like, you're getting through a lot within what 15 minutes maybe not probably a little less than that probably about 12 minutes mm -hmm. you're getting through a lot of uh plot movement in 10 to 12 minutes oh yeah and all of a sudden we've got 10 strong you know five to 10 strong minutes of the the climax of this episode that third act is huge yeah. and it's just that one scene and it's very it's a long back and forth and it's and it's a a solid solid ending it's a very uh stage uh friendly yes uh act you know Absolutely. this is this is, you can you can tell Aaron Sorkin's playwriting chops are very much on display here because it's a longer act, it's a longer scene, two actors, your focus is on them, it's a lot of back and forth, there's rhythm and timing and blocking that needs to be all in place here, so you really get that, the, the playwriting aspect of this, this act. In terms of screenwriting too here, I think this episode does a good job of showing how much is happening at once because there's so many scene changes, yeah. there's you know multiple characters in multiple places doing stuff, they're all working while this is happening, like... Even when earlier Natalie and Dana were, were talking, they're working on an edit. They're going through something. Even now, they're still editing. Like, they're doing things while this is happening. So it shows how much is happening all at once. It shows that everyone's kind of their piece in the machine. And it really moves the plot forward as well, which is, it's just, it's a great episode for that. It just keeps changing scenes and changing pace, but you're following along. And it helps all the way through. So we get to that last scene. We are on the air. We've got Casey speaking his multiple languages already. This will come up again later on. But he gives a, uh, he says triple-double in three different yeah, languages. Which I was impressed by. Yes. It's what the Germans call a Dreifach Verdoplen in Japanese. It's Toripulu Daburu and it's Rawa Ingwa U for those of you who speak the ancient language of Akkadian. The ancient language of Akkadian? That was me. Jeremy is such a dork. It's, uh, it makes me love him so much right there. So we, uh, we get... A conversation about uh, birthdays where Dan is going to sing Oh Dem Golden Slippers to Dana, <laughs> oh, which is good. And then we get a little conversation about, you know what you got me for my birthday? Box of Malamars. It's a, good, it's a good box of Malamars. It wasn't a $2,500 box of Malamars. And this is a great quote here that I had written down as well. I love Malamars, but these weren't $2,500 Malamars. They were good Malamars. They were fine Malamars. All I'm saying is you could have had the four remaining Spice Girls serve them to me in hot pants. I still say I got chipped. So as they're getting ready to leave, uh, Dana is saying goodbye to Casey and she, he says, I'm going to, you know, have a great time. I bet you will. She lays, he, the, he lays I bet you out. will is, and again, the, the rhythm of this, the rapid fire of this, it's not as obvious of a rapid fire in terms of I'm going to say the same thing over and over again, or I'm going to say something and you're going to say the same thing in a slightly different way. It's a lot of callback. It's a lot of rhythm. It's a lot of timing. This was really, really well done by both actors, Peter Krause and Felicity Huffman. I was really immersed in this scene. It's hard not to get caught up in this scene. Definitely. And it's an argument. Both sides are pretty impassioned, but it's still a funny argument, even though it comes to a, to a really big boiling point at the end. We've got kind of 
apparently, Casey's stalking Dana for a little bit. He peeked at her calendar. He knows what's going on. One of my favorite, again, English teacher nerd jokes, the dangling modifier line. Sunday the 10th turned out with Gordon at Lincoln Center. And I'm assuming, although your modifier was dangling, that you're going with Gordon to see Turned Out. You're not going to see Gordon in Turned Out. Yes, that's right. So? So knock it off. Just fantastic. I thought that Which, again, dangling modifier makes its way through. I, I, think dang, I think dangling modifier references, I will tag as a sorganism. Absolutely. There's one specifically, I can't remember which show, but somebody says they would get beat up for making dangling modifier jokes. I believe it was Studio 60. It's Martha O'Dell says, I was making a dangling modifier joke, and, and Matt Alby says, I stopped doing that in high school after the fourth time I got stuck to my locker. <laughs> so that whole really kind of really smart people, these are who all of his, all the Sorkin characters end up being. Matt. I get it. It's a, it's a reason to, to learn what a dangling modifier is, if nothing else. Absolutely. Um, so we get serious now here, where Dana starts basically... I don't want to say begging, but yelling at Casey to knock it off. You're doing it again, she says. And we find out that whenever Casey's life starts to get a little hectic, she clings on to Dana, makes him feel, or makes her feel like he feels a certain way. When he doesn't, she knows that this is just a little phase. Knock it off. She keeps yelling at him. This is a very intense back and forth. And, and it's so there's a lot of tapestry here about their relationship as partners, uh, as, as co-workers going back a decade and a half. And you there is... There is clearly some residual stuff between the two, and I love that neither one of them feels that it's coming from them, and both of them feel that it's coming from the uh, from the other person. Yeah. It's I mean, there's a, there's so much meat here. We said that before, but there's so much meat to to really bite into when it comes to these two, and it's 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 really good all the way through. Uh, Gordon showing up for the first time, oh, yeah. and we get our first view at Gordon. I've got so much. Still, I want to talk about with this scene. I wrote oh, so no, many ahead, notes. Please, yeah. We've got a little more background that they've worked together in Dallas, they've worked together in L.A., and they went to college together. So we find out all that about their their relationship. Dana and Lisa kind of... They were friends, they're, they're friends. right? They know each no other, obviously. It was Casey's wife, so... Um, I love this is another kind of Sorkin thing. It's almost almost Han Solo-esque where Dana says, you're not cute, you're not funny, and she only responds to the, you don't think I'm funny? Yeah. Which is, gonna, which is great. That's right a, it's a great Han Solo Leia back and forth right We there. get the, I apologize for nothing. I apologize, I apologize for, for some, some things. things. I apologize for half the things, which is also very <laughs> I feel funny. like I've said that very often, in all honesty. I apologize for nothing, except this, and maybe that, and okay, I apologize for a lot more. <laughs> this, I, I have a note here, is kind of the first really major walk and talk going on as well in one big running scene where they are just all over the place they're yeah. moving within the control room they go behind the set they're in front of the set they're kind of everywhere um and then that great moment with i want badly to see you naked and jeremy walks jeremy in. walks in very very funny there and then the lamp which is another great little quirk an, 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 another what do they call it tete-a-tete -tete? i mean it's it's this, <laughs> this is the, the back and forth here and it encompasses so many different layers I mean, this is this is deep. You're going so deep into how much uh, emotion is built up, whether it's anger or resentment or passion or whatever it is. There is so much to 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 wade, you know, kind of wade through between both of these yeah. uh, two characters and the relationship. Dana is genuinely mad. Like she is, she is pissed at Casey. You're doing it again, right? You don't like me. I know you're, you think you do, you don't. Stop it, right? You've got the imaginary fly. It's in your head just like the fly. Yeah. Which is a great line there. I love the little lamp exchange when, when Casey throws out the, it's going to send must, you, you into must, a lamp buying frenzy. You must have a well-lit apartment. <laughs> I like he says, I think specifically, you must have a well-lit apartment lady or, or something like that because you turned a quarter somewhere, which is a really good one too. Um, and we end up finally with Gordon entering. Note about this. He comes waltzing in like... 
nobody's did he, business. Did he not hear anything? Did he not hear any of what was just going on for a good good chunk of time? <laughs> We've got Gordon. Ha- handsome Ted McGinley comes Love in. Love Ted McGinley. Of course, known probably mostly for Married with Children, but yep. he's been in a lot of stuff. Hope and Faith. He was on Happy Days briefly. Dynasty, Love Boat. And he also shows up in West Wing. My favorite cameo, though, of course, Mr. Scream in Wayne's World, where he just goes, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> They think he's Handsome Dan, but he's not. Harry Shearer's Handsome yep, Dan. That's Another right. Simpsons voice right there. But he's just kind of everywhere. He's handsome. He is charming. He seems like a super he nice guy. He seems like a really nice guy. And and you know what's, what's, what's funny? I've uh, been in situations with ex-girlfriends, things like that women I've been involved with and I meet uh, their new significant others. I, I think I do a, like I have a good relationship with most people. I'm, I'm relative. I'd like to consider myself relatively affable. Uh, and it's not a situation. I don't think you'd find yourself in very often now that you're married, but uh, as a single person, I still deal with a lot of people that I've been involved with and I meet a lot of their new boyfriends and I think I get along with most <laughs> of them. I want, I want nothing more than to, uh, walk away from an encounter with like an ex-girlfriend and her new boyfriend then the boyfriend to go that's a really nice guy right. <laughs> there have been situations where that has happened and i i always take satisfaction in that it reminds me very much of that scene in the breakup where the, he's playing madden with uh, jennifer Anderson's yes, right. and he can't stop talking about about uh vince vaughn after the, when they're leaving on the date yeah absolutely you want to be like that's super cool. What's yeah, going man. On here? What a, man, Casey, what a nice guy. Hey, I checked out uh, the wire for you. You're gonna get some fresh powder and right. sugar bush. Like he ex- suddenly like a switch. Like, the, has been like the switch gets flipped. It is so funny when, when handsome Ted McGinley walks in. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, and, and like you said it. He's char- like Dana kisses him. He goes, wow, that that was worth the wait. Like yeah. he's like that's a charming thing yeah. to oh, say. Like, Casey, big fan. You know, like he's big just fan a, he's of yours. He nice. seems like a really nice guy. I, I did write the note and I mentioned it a second ago. How did he get in there? Like <laughs> he comes walking in like where did he stage. where did he come from? It's, and did it, he not hear anything? Was he so oblivious? Maybe he's so nice because yeah. he's just oblivious of everything that's going on. It's it's twelve thirty in the morning. <laughs> they they work in Rockefeller Center, which I'm sure is security. I'm sure security at that point. Of and the he night. comes walking in. Not just that, but he opens the door and just goes, Dana. Hey, Dana. Yes, yeah. hey, Dana. He was going to walk around the entire studio in the office. Just Did he just come from the sound? Is it soundproof everywhere? Uh, who knows? Outside the studio? Because it, uh, it is hard to figure out exactly what he was listening to beforehand. Did he just take out, just, just take off his modern, uh, you know, 98 <laughs> equivalent of Beats headphones right when he walked in? Those weird wrap around the back of the head <laughs> the headphones. Bose, the Bose headphones that cancel the noise. Oh. So, <laughs> Cordial Casey, he leaves. Uh, Gordon's gonna start walking away. Oh, Dana needs to get her bags, so she starts to walk across the uh, the studio, the, the sound stage itself. And sure enough, buzzed by the fly. There's the fly. So if she just finished yelling at Casey about how it's in your head, just like the fly. Then we get the buzz. She says, "Son of a gun," and that's the ending of the episode. The fly is an excellent little metaphor. It's a little symbolic. Right? Yeah, yeah, very symbolic got, here. So it's not just in his head, right? Maybe he really does harbor these feelings. Dana's going to start maybe thinking about that a little bit more. Uh, interesting little fact here. It's on the DVDs, a deleted scene. They had rigged up this whole weird, complicated camera mount. Have you seen this? I haven't, actually. We gotta, no. we'll, we'll watch it in a second. Uh, and we'll see if we can find a YouTube clip to throw out on our show notes or something so that people can see it, too. They rigged up this weird camera thing to do a POV shot of the fly coming at Dana's head. It is the weirdest looking shot. Really? It's very strange, and they cut it, obviously, 
because it's just it's bonkers. It's just crazy looking. But it's just this kind of zoom in, zoom out of Felicity Huffman waving her hands. It's the strangest thing, and it's probably a really good thing that they cut it. And also, and I think Tommy Shalami is the one who mentions it on the commentary of this deleted scene too. They took it out because it also leaves that threat. Is she now imagining the fly? Is sure, the fly sure, real? Sure, sure. So it gives that kind of extra layer too, which I think is interesting. But yeah, well, we'll show that clip in a second. It is, it's just such a weird, totally out of place for the episode. And as, you know, as a, a fan of that kind of ambiguity, like, oh, is she now kind of thinking maybe she likes Casey? Or is there really a fly that is just I, And, that? you know, again, I, I haven't really seen this. And just the way that you're describing it to me, I, I'm glad... Just on my own accord, I think I'm glad that it, it was left out because I do like the vagueness at the end because as soon as... even like, You can even see Dana questioning it when the fly, you know, she, she whacks at it or whatever and it flies away. Just goes, son of a gun. And, like, she's even starting to question things. This whole argument that they've put so much time and passion and uh, emotion into, all of a sudden, like, she's questioning it. She was so sure of herself... And all of a sudden, that's kind of taken away. Some of that is taken away, and that's what I think. I thought those are a great way to finish the episode. Definitely. So, I mean, one of the highlights of, of I think, if I were to rank, and I feel bad saying this now because I was so excited about the Hungry and the Hunted, I think I would put this so far at my favorite episode that we've watched thus far. I I, it, I don't want to put it as my favorite episode fully. I still like Hungry and the Hunted as a full episode. Uh, I I still like that monologue. Uh, very much, but this is my favorite scene between two actors so far because we've had two great monologues in both uh, episode two with the apology and episode three with the hungry and the hunted with Dan and then Jeremy. But this is my this is the best scene I think of the show that involves multiple actors. I, I really do. Definitely, uh, I think this is this it's really well written. The pacing is great. The pacing of this episode you mentioned it several times. This is the best paced episode by far that we've had in the first four. I feel like most of the episodes coming are going to model themselves after this one a little bit. They're much quicker. There's a lot of scene changes. It's not necessarily different plot points, but it's it's more spread out. Yeah. Instead of just like, we're going to have a scene that, you know, if I'm looking back at my notes here from some of the earlier episodes, you've got maybe three big scenes. He's going to start chopping those up a little bit. We're going to have a bunch of tiny ones that serve the same purpose. And it's a little, it's a refreshing change of pace, yes. which I like. So that was episode four of Those Stories Plus. We're adding this addendum at the end of the show because since the time we recorded it up until now, we are now available on iTunes. You can actually subscribe to Those Stories Plus. So search for Those Stories Plus on iTunes or your podcast app, and you'll be able to click the button and download our podcast and subscribe to it. So we're very excited about that. We're going to be back next week with episode five, Mary Pat Shelby, and we will continue to discuss these episodes and we'll start bringing on guests in the next couple of shows. So we're really excited to start that up and enjoy recording those stories plus and sharing it with you as we go forward. Again, you can follow us on Twitter at those stories pod. You can follow Adam at Adam Amin. You can follow Steve at SJCIM. And of course, you can leave comments or any notes for us on our website, thosestoriespod.weebly.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.